yesterday, what we finished with is uh, the idea that we're on 10A right now in the second line. And yesterday, what we finished with is the idea that Rabbi Yochanan responds to Rish Lakish, that the reason why we lost the temple is not just because the Jewish people didn't come back on mass, didn't come back as an entire group when they came back after the destruction of the first temple and the exile. It's also because Hashem's presence was never going to last in a temple built by Persians the same way it would last in a temple built by um, Shlomo HaMelech. So the temple that was built by Shlomo HaMelech was always going to last and was always going to be something that would be able to draw us back into the second temple. But the second temple that was only built by the Persians was not necessarily going to have the same magnetic pull to get us out of exile quickly. The Gemara says, the Gemara now is going to get into a fascinating genealogical question, right? This is well before 23 Me. The Gemara is going to tell us where everybody comes from. Not everyone. How do we know that that the Persians are coming from Yefes, right? Because we just got finished with Dejrash to explain how we know that Hashem gave some sort of power to Yefes, but not the same thing as he gave to Shem. As it is written, the sons of Yefes, Goimer, Umagai, Umadai, Piyavan, Dituval, Umeshach, right? These are the names in the Torah, the children of Yafas, the Tiras and Tiras. Goimer, ze Germania. Goimer is Germania, which may or may not be Germany. Mogoik, zu Kandia. Madai, zu Macedonia, right? Macedonia is, we know what Macedonia is, right? Yavon, Kimashmoi, right? So Yavon is like Yavon. Tuval, what's Tuval? Ze Beisai Nike, this is Beisai Nike. Meshach, zu Musia, this is Musia. Tiras, and other people say, and one of them said, it is not based Raiki, Zupras, this is actually Persian. Tani also said that Tiras is Pras. Now, the Torah continues and tells us, Safta Varama Visaftacha, Tani says, there was the Sakistan on the inner side, the Sakistan on the outer side. Between one and the other, there was 100 Parsi. The Ekefa Alpha Parsi. And the circumference was 1,000 Parsi. But the Hiratius Mamlachte, Bavel, beginning of his kingship was Bavel, the Erech, the Akkad, the Kalne. Bavel, what's Bavel? The way it, the way it sounds. Erech, Ze Eurichus. The Akkad, Ze Baskar. Kalne, Ze Neufer Ninfi. Min ha'aretz ha'hi yata Ashur from this land Ashur Assyria came out. Tanir Yisuf Ashur ze Silek. This is Silek. The Yavin es Ninve and he built Ninve. Es Rechoyves ear and the city known as Rechoyves. Es Kalach and also Kalach. Ninve Kamashmoi. What's Ninve? Kamashmoi, the city of Ninve. We know what that is. Rechoyves ear zu Pras the Mishan. This is Pras of Mishan specifically. Kalach. What's Kalach? Zu Pras the Borsif. This is the Pras of Borsif. As resin being Ninbe or being Kalach, and then there's resin between Ninbe and Kalach. He had ear Hagadela, that's the great city. Resin, what is resin? Ze Aktisvain, this is Aktisvain. He had ear, this is the city Hagadela, the great city. Any Yedea in Ninbe a ear Hagadela, I don't know if Ninbe is the great city, in resin a ear Hagadela, or if resin is the great city. Yeshuaimer, when it says in the Torah, the Ninbe Haisi ear Gadela Lelekim, that Ninbe was a great city for Hashem. Mahalach Shleshi Yamim, and it was three days' journey in Yaina. Aviyamer Ninbe Hiyer Yagadela. We see from here that Ninbe is the great city. Visham Achiman, Sheshai, the Talmai, Yibli Anak. And over there, there was Achiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, who are the children of the Anak. 
So we know that this is referring to the, the children of the giant. Tana, we learned in a brisa. Achiman, Achiman is miyuman shabachim. It is the most uh, um, uh, crafty of the brothers. Deshai, shemesim esaaretz ke shchises. He made the ground into shchises. Uh, shchises is like um, holes in the ground. Talmai, what's talmai? Shemesim esaaretz tulamim tulamim. He made the ground full of these uh, ridges, these uh, furrows. Dabar acher, achiman bana anak. Sheshai bana alush. Another way to explain this is Sheshai Chachiman uh, built an ant. Sheshai bana bana alush. Talmai bana talbush. Yelide anak, the children of the anak. Why? Shemanikin achama bekei masan. Why are they called the children of the anak? Because they were so tall, sun ended up being worn around their neck, so to speak. Right. This is obviously a a, a, a not a literal idea, but more of a um, a uh, you know a way of saying. A way of saying just how tall they were to express that in a poetic fashion is to say that the, the sun was worn around their neck, right? Now we turn to a different point. Yeshuvah Levi says in the name of Rebbe, In the future, Rome is going to fall by the hands of Pras of So therefore, listen to the voice of Hashem, the advice of Hashem that he has taken against Edom. Who is Edom? Edom is Rome. And his plans, his plans that he has thought about against the inhabitants of Taman. If they, if they, that imloy, that if not, that the youngest one of the flock is going to is going to grab them and take them away. If he does not if he does not take to uh, or to destroy the places where they dwell. My mashma the heights Ira had saying prasu. How do you know that's Ira had saying that the youngest of the flock is referring to pras? And that's how you know that pras Persia is going to devastate Rome. Yosivas says, Maran, the ram that had two horns, Malchai Madai of Pras, the king of Madai and the king of Persia. This is in Daniel. The Ema Yavan, maybe it's really referring to Yavan, who also had a horn. Yosivas says, Bahitsvir, Hasir, Melech Yavan, right? The the king of Yavan, the um the uh, the male goat is considered to be the, the king of uh, of Greece. So you see that it, when we say flock, it doesn't have to be referring to the king of Pras of Persia. It could also be referring to the king of Yavan of Greece. When he went up, Charlie said this idea in front of a chachamim. He said, "I don't know for sure that that the youngest of the flock is referring to Persia. Maybe it's really referring to Greece because Greece also is referred to as having horns." Amalei, so the fellow said back to him. Somebody does not know how to read a pasuk in the Torah. You're going to ask a question against Rebbe? When it says the youngest of the sheep, it means the youngest of his brothers. It doesn't mean the youngest of a sheep. You thought it was focused on a sheep, and therefore you got hooked into the idea of red herrings, of, of horns and rams and, and goats. You missed the boat. It's just a way of seeing the youngest brother. Who's the youngest brother? The Tani Rebbe, as we learned earlier, said, Iras Zepras. Who's the youngest brother? The youngest brother is the one that's mentioned last in Pasuk. The last son of Yefes is Tiras. And we know that Tiras is Pras. So when it says that the youngest brother is going to pull him away, it means that Tiras will pull away Rome. Now we flip it around. We say, um, in the f- I'm sorry, same way again. And in the future, Rome is going to fall by the hands of Pras. It is a Kavachimer. Right now is going to say a little bit of an interesting Kavachimer. 
The first base of Mikdash was built by the sons of Shem. And who destroyed it? The Kazdim destroyed the base of Mikdash, right? And the people who destroyed the base of Mikdash, they fell into the hands of the Parsim, right? Because they destroyed the base of Mikdash. Mikdashani that was built by the Persians. And then the Romans destroyed it. Is it not then a Kabbalah that the people who destroyed the base of Mikdash should fall into the hands of the people who built it? Now, you could ask questions on this because if it's about falling into the hands of people who built it, well, then the Kasdim should have fallen into the hands of us because we're the people who built it, right? So it just seems a little, there's something going on over here. I, I don't know exactly what, but the Kabbalah does not fit your classic paradigm of learning from something that is easy to something that is hard. Rav, I see the Pras people beyond Rami. Rav flips the flips the script. He says, "Really, Rome? I'm sorry, Pras Persia is going to fall by the hands of Rome." This is makes sense. The people who built the base of Mikdash should they fall into the hands of the people who, who destroyed it? So he says, "Yeah, in Tzeres What do you want me to tell you? This is Tzeres It's a din. I can't argue with Hashem. I can't argue with City Hall. Certainly not with Hashem." Some people say, other people say, no, it's not really Xeris HaMelech. He actually says, there's a logic here. The logic here is like this. The Persians destroyed the, the study halls and the, the Batei Knesiot, the, the places where we dive in. They destroyed it. So they also deserve to die and to be destroyed. Tanya Namiyah will intervise like this as well. It's both ideas expressed. I see the Prashat people of Yad Remi. Persia will fall at the hands of Rome. First of all, they destroyed the synagogues. And also, indeed, it's just like It is what it is. Those who build will end up falling by the hands of those who destroy. That's the, the rule. That is the decree of God. The child of David, right? Mashiach is not going to come until the kingdom of Rome has spread upon the entire world for nine months, right? Once again, this is not necessarily literal. This is a message that is being conveyed in an agadic truth. It says, that he gives them until their enemies until the time that a woman who is in, uh, you know, in pregnant will give birth. And the rest of his brothers are going to come back with the children of Israel. Okay, now we're going back to Yuma, where we had that interlude, we go back to Yuma. The only mezuzah anywhere in the base of Mikdash, the only chamber that had a mezuzah in the base of Mikdash was the Lishkas Parhedron. Why? Because that was a place where the Kain Gadol used to sleep for seven days. Since it had a place that was set aside for sleeping, therefore it had a mezuzah. Are there not many places in the base of Mikdash that had a place, a little bedroom, uh, you know, uh, on these bed, these chambers off the base of Mikdash that half was open to outside the base of Mikdash, half was open to inside the base of Mikdash? You're allowed to sleep there, right? So therefore, these other places also had bedrooms, and those other places did not have a did not have a uh, a, a mezuzah, right? So Rabbi Yehuda basically is saying, so if Yehuda says that in those other places there was no mezuzah. So you can't say that's because there was a place for people to sleep. It must be there's a special din that it needed to have a mezuzah. We're now is going to analyze this. You can get a mezuzah for a little bit. 
My time with Rabbi Yehuda. What's the reason for Rabbi Yehuda? Amar Rava, the son of Rabbi Yehuda. Any house that is not intended to be a permanent dwelling place, right? Doesn't mean to say that you have to live there permanently, but it has to have the ability to be dwelled in permanently. Sometimes people build a house that's special for the winter months because it's a very, very uh, heavy, very thick house, but it'll be awful to live there in the summer. Sometimes people build a house that's very, very cool and breezy for the summer, but if in the winter, it's not going to work. So if you held, ain't a base zero, a house that is not built to be lived in year-round, it's not a base zero, it's not considered to be a house. Abaya says, but it's written in the Torah, and he'll destroy the winter house or hit the winter house together with the summer house. So it says that they are a house. He calls them a house. He doesn't call it a house. He calls it a summer house, a winter house. But when we think about what type of house needs a mezuzah, it has to be a house that's just generic house. When you have to add the qualifier of summer house or winter house, you lose the defining characteristic that would require a mezuzah. By a stomach, they're not called a regular house. Abaya asks a question. Okay, is like this. I'll ask a question. When it comes to the sukkah on sukkahs itself, what's the halacha? On sukkahs itself, Rabbi Yehuda says, you need to have a mezuzah on your sukkah, right? Wayne, do you have a mezuzah on your sukkah? Earl, do you have a mezuzah on your sukkah? Jonathan, do you have a mezuzah on your sukkah? Okay, I'm taking it that no one has a mezuzah on their sukkah. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Do you? No, I don't. The chachamim patron. And the chachamim say that indeed you're obligated. Now, the Tanya law, the Gemara explains, when we say you're obligated, I'm sorry, that you're exempt. Come and say you're exempt. The Yudah says you're chayiv. What exactly are we referring to here? The Tanya law, we learned in the Rice about this. The Yudah says you're liable for an Eruv, right? Like this. That if you have a sukkah that's opening into an area where there's sheer dwellings, you're obligated to put the Eruv from the Erevin, right? The Eruv from the Erevin, which is that you have to do something to show that everyone has a sheer dwelling, and then you're allowed to carry in that area, right? Ubu Mezuzah, and it's also obligated for Mezuzah. It's also obligated for Meiser, right? Like this, a house that you've already had, a house that you brought food into, you're now obligated to take off Meiser from that food, okay? So Rehuda says if you bring food into a sukkah, it's considered to be in a set place, and therefore you're obligated to, to put up a mezuzah there. You're obligated to, to account for it when you're making an Eruv, and you're also obligated to take off Meiser from fruits that you brought in there. Maybe make the argument that Rehuda only said that it's considered set for these halachas on a rabbinic level, but not on a Torah level. When it comes to the laws of Eruv and laws of Mezuzah, maybe you could say that on a rabbinic level, it would be obligated, even though on a Torah level, it would not reach the bar for being obligated. By Meiser, can you possibly say that it's only an obligation on a rabbinic level and still it was sufficient to obligate that to you to take Meiser when food got into that house, that's a sukkah house? Dilma, Asi, the problem is, that there's a big problem with that. We have a problem, we've come across this earlier in Chas. Whenever it comes to Meiser laws, we do not want rabbinic Meiser, because rabbinic Meiser clouds the issue. What happens is like this. Once you have rabbinic Meiser, when you have rabbinically obligated Meiser, right, then what happens is you might make the mistake of thinking that it's the same halacha as Torah-obligated Meiser. And you might take off Meiser from produce on the Meiser that is only rabbinically obligated, which is not going to work. And vice versa, you might also do it. So you can't say that the only reason why we do this is out of a rabbinic concern. Elam Rabbias, or rather Rabbias says, Yeshiva tekuli When it comes to the seven days of separation and preparation for Yom Kippur, everybody agrees that you do not, you do need a mezuzah on that, those seven days when the Kayin is actually living there. 
When do they argue? On the other days of the year, do you need a mezuzah or not? The Chachamim say, we make a decree that the other rest of the days of the year, it requires a mezuzah, the same way it requires a mezuzah for the seven days of preparation. And the Chachamim say, no, it, it, um, Rehuda says, no, it does not require out of a concern that perhaps you needed it on the rest, on Sukkot, therefore you should, uh, on the seven days before Yom Kippur, therefore you should also need it the rest of the year. In the Mishnah, it said that the Machlekes was, do you need the mezuzah on Sukkot itself? So if you assume that there's a comparison to be built between the Sukkah and the seven days of preparation, then since by Sukkah it says on the seven days itself there's already a Machlekes, so too, by the separation, it should be on the seven days itself, a Machlekes. So why did Abayah say that the Machlekes is only the rest of the year, but on the seven days itself, everybody agrees? Rava says that's not going to work because that's not a great comparison then. The rest of the days of the year, everybody agrees there is no need for mezuzah at all. The machlekas is like this. The machlekas is on the seven days when the Kayin Gadol is sitting and sleeping in that place. Does it require mezuzah or not? Now, what's the machlekas? The sukkah time alechud, the lishka time alechud. There's a machlekas in regards to sukkah, and there's machlekas in regards to the seven days in the special, special room. Sukkah. Uh, Rabbi Huda Rabbi goes according to his reasoning. The Amar, because he says, Sukkah diras kavabeinan. He holds that a Sukkah has to be a permanent dwelling. Right? This is a very specific to Sukkah question. It has to be a permanent dwelling in the place where you're going to be living on Sukkahs. And if it's a permanent dwelling place, then you're obligated to put up a mezuzah. Rabban and Letamayu, the Chama, going to point to their reasoning. The Amar, because they said, Sukkah diras arayibinan. They said that a Sukkah has to be a temporary dwelling place, and therefore, Le Mechayev of a Mezuzah. And that's why we don't have a Mezuzah, because we pass like the Chachamim. A Sukkah should not be built to be a permanent, it should be built to be a temporary. Elishka time alechud. And when it comes to the separation in Elishka, that's also its own reason. Rabban and Sari, the Chamim held, Dira bal karchashma dira. The Chamim held that a dwelling that you are forced to dwell in is still called a dwelling. A dwelling that you're forced to dwell in is not called a dwelling place, okay? So if you hold a dira that you're forced to dwell in is called a dwelling place, you need a mezuzah. If you hold it's not called a dwelling place, you don't need a mezuzah. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, if you don't need a mezuzah in a place that you're forced to dwell in, so why are you obligated to have a mezuzah for seven days of preparation? Why are you obligated to have a mezuzah according to Rabbi Yehuda? The answer is, the only reason is because the Chachamim said we need to have a mezuzah here, Specifically, so that we should not be thinking to ourselves that the Kayan Gadol is being locked up in jail. Because you might have thought to yourself, since a Kayan Gadol is being locked up in jail, that there, there's a sense of that he's being locked up and separated against his will. So by putting up a mezuzah, you lose that sense and you recognize that this is something that he's doing out of his own volition. This is something that he's doing because he wants to be here. Now, according to Behuda, though, Technically, he is being forced to be here. What do I mean forced to be here? Forced to be here means not that it's against his will, right? When Rehuda said that a place in which you're forced to be, you don't need, it's not called a dwelling. It doesn't mean it's against your will, but he means that there is no other choice given their set of circumstances other than to be here. You're not obligated in a mezuzah. Chamim said you're still obligated in a mezuzah over there. So sukkah is one question and Yom Kippur is a completely different question. They're not related at all. At first, we thought they were related, and then we thought that one could extrapolate from one law to the other. Once we separate it out completely, then they're not related at all, and there's no reason to think that their halacha should be exactly equivalent. Okay.
take care, guys. We'll continue this tomorrow night. We'll 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 get cracking tomorrow night and do our three block. You know, eight thirty to nine thirty. See you then. Thanks. Good night. Good night.